One Hope Church. Been a month, just like that. Boom. Come and go. Um, time moves, so we want to use our time well this morning. Thank you all for coming, and that was a monsoon. I think we got like two and a half inches of rain in an hour or something like that. It was, it, it came down pretty hard there. Um, and I know that kept some folks away this morning, but um, we're going to enjoy our time worshiping the Lord and being in His Word. We're still continuing through the book of Second Samuel. So we're in Second Samuel chapter 7 uh, this morning. And let's go to the Lord again in, in prayer after we, um, we read the first seven verses. So we'll read chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in the house since that time when I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Uh, So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it and meditate on it this morning uh, together, um, to be encouraged by your word, to be instructed by it. So we pray that we would have humble um, hearts this morning, and that our minds would be um, ready and receptive um, to hear your word, um, and Lord, that you would change us continuously from the inside out to make us more like your son Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf and took the sins that we deserve to pay for. And so Jesus, we are thankful for your love and your mercy um, towards us. And we're thankful for the great sacrifice you made in our place. And we're thankful that the grave could not hold you, but that you are a risen Savior and you will return as King. And so we acknowledge that you are Savior and King this morning, and we praise you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So in this passage, there's a, we'll get too much of this morning, but there is some, some, I guess, talk about when did this particular scene happen? Is it chronological um, in the book um, or not? But nevertheless, the, the main point here is that the king looks around and sees that he has, you know, that he has prospered, um, and that the Lord's he has a nice house, and the Lord's tent, the Lord is, in a, is still in the tabernacle in the tent is from his you know human perspective. That's how he's viewing, you know, the world, and viewing where he is and where God is, and obviously he recognizes that he is. Even though he's the king, he is small, and God is great. And he shouldn't have a nicer house than God has. You know, that doesn't make logical sense to him. 
Um, and that's, you know, I think that's a correct perspective because, again, servant king. I mean, you would, if you went to any kingdom in the world and you were like, you know, here's the king's headquarters. You know, this is where the king stays. And it was a, it was like a, basically a tent. It was made of curtains. And you're like, and here's where, you know, his servant stays. And there's this massive, you know, house made of, you know, wood with these ornate carvings. And it's, you know, it's a grand to look at. You would be like, I think y'all, who y'all call king and servant might be different than what we call king and servant. We might have like different definitions for those words. Let, let me make sure I understand who's actually in charge here. Is, I think that would be our natural question or our natural response to that. We would at least think that was a, a bit peculiar or odd. And David rightly has this sort of you know, thought as well. And so he says to Nathan the prophet, hey, I want, you know, basically he's saying, you know, I have a house of cedar. God dwells in a tent. You know, his, his heart is, you know, I want to build a house. I want to build, the, you know, a temple for God. And Nathan, you know, is, we see throughout, he is truly a prophet of God, and he is good-hearted. But in this case, he doesn't go back and consult, because this sounds right to him, too. You know, it resonates with him of, you know, David, you're right. You shouldn't have a better dwelling place than God. So, of course, you should do this. Do what's in your heart. God's with you. But he hasn't taken the time to consult God. Because God's economy is different and God's timing is different. And so because he doesn't consult God, you know, he didn't do so intentionally or he, he didn't give bad advice intentionally or willfully like a false prophet would. It was what we would call an honest mistake. You know, it was, like, it was a mistake, with a, but the heart is the good intention, right? The heart has a good intention. And so Nathan says to the king, Go do all this in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan and basically tells him, you know, this isn't, this isn't your role. This isn't the case. You know, David, you need to go tell David he's not the one to do this. And, and one of the first things he says um, to David is that, you know, haven't I been, you know, content in this? You know, have I complained? He hasn't complained. Um, and... You know, he hasn't said anything, even to the Levites who were, you know, in charge of, um, you know, the tabernacle and the sacrifices and, you know, the spiritual health of the nation. They were supposed to be, you know, concerned about those things. You know, he, he, God hasn't asked them to do that either. He says, I haven't gone to them and said, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so... Um, it's not the time and it's not the place. Now we know, and we'll talk about this as we go through the passage, we know that Solomon is going to be the one um, you know, to build the temple. But there's something bigger that we need to understand about the tabernacle or the temple. That though God's manifest presence was there, those things were for the people. They weren't for God. And, and the scripture is clear about that. That God didn't need it. God, God met the people there, and it was used in a temporary way until God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, um, and you know came and, and taught and lived and and suffered, you know, for us, um, who was both, you know, high priest and sacrifice. Um, 
but listen to Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. And this, again, is, you know, this is Old Testament prophet. This is, you know, in, you know, in the context where, um, you know, these things were valued in terms of, you know, tabernacle, temple, those things. But it says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all, these, all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You see, and this ultimately, you know, the problem with the, with the temple, the tabernacle and temple in the Old Testament wasn't with God or with the tabernacle or the temple. It's just that people end up taking those things and missing the point. You know, so then the temple and what happens in the temple and the rituals of the temple become more important than God. And, and that's just what, you know, natural human tendency is to do. And this is one of the reasons um, that the, you know, Jesus was so frustrated with the Pharisees is because they, they were so much more concerned about the outward workings of, of their religious system than they were about the true heart of God and actually following and obeying God. And that's a, that's a huge, huge problem. And so God in, you know, says, and this is, you know, there has been the tabernacle, there has been the temple when Isaiah you know, writes this, and, but he you know, is, is putting them in their proper place because heaven is God's throne, earth is his footstool. He is high above. Where, I mean, where are you going to make a place for that, that is really worthy of, of God when God made the universe? But I do want to just, that verse 2 in Isaiah 66, I think is just so important and it relates to what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. But on this one I will look on him who is of poor and of contrite spirit or who is you know, humble of heart and who trembles at my word. That's who God looks for. That's who God seeks. Is the one who is humble. One of contrite spirit. Now what's interesting is uh, Stephen, the first martyr, uses those words of Isaiah when he's explaining to the Jewish people um, of what you know, the, the point of their history was. Uh, and so he says this in Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. See, so Stephen, you know, going through the history, and he hits a lot of history, but he, he talks about what we call 2 Samuel chapter 7. That it was David who wanted to build the house, you know, but, you know to, to build that dwelling place, but Solomon built him a house. Then he says this, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, 
and earth is my footstool? What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And then he goes on to say to them, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You're going to be hard-pressed to find harder words of condemnation than that of a of a you're wrong. You know, you're not gonna have a hard time finding words in anywhere of more of a you're wrong and, and like really you know pushing the point. I mean when he says you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart, he's basically saying when it comes to your hearts, you are as far from God as you can get. That's what he's telling them. And then you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did. So now he's like, you do it, and you're just like your parents. I mean, so he's gone after them personally, and then after their families. Like, he actually, I mean, it doesn't say mothers here, but, I mean, it's like talking about your mama. You know, I mean, he talks about their, their, their daddies. You know, like, I mean, he goes after them hard. He goes after them hard. And then they go, they you know, they're going to go to, to, to take him by force, and then that's when heaven opens, and he says, I see Lord Jesus at the right hand, and then they stone him to death. I mean, that's a pretty intense scene. And Paul is there, you know, the one holding the clothes as he's getting stoned to death. And then in Acts 17, verse 16, and I, and I and I think these are connected, because listen to what he says here. So Paul's in Athens. He's provoked when he sees all the idols that are in the city of Athens. And there are a lot of idols in Athens. And, you know, our, and then our, you know, our, our city here in Athens, Georgia, has its own, its own idols. And we borrow from, from Greece and throw it in, in, in our downtown. Um, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and Gentile worshipers there and in the marketplace with those who happen to be there. He has these you know, philosophers. He, they don't understand fully what he's saying, so they bring him to the Areopagus, and he says in verse 19, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and foreigners who spent their t- time there and nothing else, but either to tell or hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And isn't it interesting, you know, Paul heard the message of Stephen before his conversion. And then he uses that same argument in a different context. You know, you know Stephen was talking to Jewish people and to, you know, Gentile converts to Judaism. And here, 
you know, Paul is largely speaking to a Gentile audience, but it's the same, it's the same argument that he makes. Um, so he's able to make the same argument, though, because they don't have a context, he doesn't say, he doesn't appeal to them on something that they don't have a basis for. He doesn't say, well, the prophet says in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He just tells it what it is, <laughs> you know, he, because they don't have a context for the prophet Isaiah. But he, he gives this, and then he says this, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art in man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius, the Arpegite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And so the word of God, the truth of that message was fruitful in the lives of some. It wasn't, in that case, truthful in the lot, or helpful. Well, it was helpful, but it wasn't accepted by, by most. But it was accepted by a few. Praise God for that. Um, it, it was when we were in Mexico toward the end of our, of our trip. I think it was, it was either Wednesday or Thursday when I was told, okay, Chet, you're going to be um, preaching at a, at a wedding, you know, in this village that's a couple of hours away on Saturday um, you know so just be ready for that and you know it's funny because there's things that happen there that just don't happen here what I mean honestly I have we have never met either of the people getting married never met them I mean could not I mean if there had been you know a hundred people and you'd be like, which, a hundred couples, which ones are you, you know, you're going to marry on Saturday? And like, oh, I got a one on a hundred chance of being right. You know, I mean, that's, it, it's just a funny thing. Because like, that wouldn't happen here. Could you imagine? Like, you know, you're going to get married. And a couple of days before you're told, hey, there's this guy. And he's from this other country, right? And so he's going to, you know, he loves the Lord. He's going to preach at your, he's going to preach at your wedding. I don't know what this, who this dude is. I don't know what he's going to say. I'm thinking maybe no. You know, I mean, I think most people are just going to be like, we, we take people we know. So anyway, we go, and, and, the, and the thing is, I mean, we did not even meet them before the ceremony. Like, I'm just, gonna, I'm just shooting you straight here. We did not even meet them before the ceremony. We, I, we're on the, like, in the vehicle, and I'm, like, writing their names down. Okay? Like, that's... That's how this is, folks. I mean, that's just, it's just, just be real with you, what happened. So, we, yeah, we are, we're, so, 
you know, we're going along, and and we especially did not get. We actually, I think, we actually may have caused the wedding to start late, because on the way, Joanna has this like awful cough. I mean, it is terrible. And we have to stop at this pharmacy in this little village on the way up, and we're talking to a doctor who's, you know, I mean, it's chaos, right? And so we finally get there, and the way they do it, they have the, the civil ceremony first. And we were glad they had the civil cer- ceremony first, too, for one reason, because the girl looked real young. <laughs> she just looked young. I mean, Claire was like... And am I gonna need to go bust up this wedding? Because you know we're not we're not have somebody that young getting you know. But they but how they do it? They have their birth certificates there, and the civil official, you know, reads their birth certificates, and their families are there, and there's witnesses. So she was twenty. No, she was twenty-three. She was twenty-three. Yeah, maybe a whole lot better. Maybe she was twenty-three. She she looked like sixteen, but she was twenty-three. Okay, so maybe that's just us getting a little bit older. Now everybody looks like they're. We can get a little older because now everybody looks like they're 16, you know, like, but anyway. Um, so, so anyway, they have, it's like, they have the civil, civil deal, they walk out, and then some music plays, and they walk back in. All right, you know, we're going to have this part, and Jorge gives introduction, introduces me, and thankfully I didn't have to do the vowels or anything like that. Nacho did all that. Um, so Chettos and Nachos um, taking care of the wedding, and you know basically though I got to preach pretty much the same we- wedding that I'm a little bit shorter version because especially because I had a translator, but with Eduardo and Vanessa for their wedding, just on that theme that God what we have in common in different cultures because at that wedding we've got at least three different cultures, you know that we were at on on that Saturday. We have at least three different cultures present. And we're talking about what we have in common. And what we have in common is that we're all made in the image of God. We all have the same first parents. From one blood, he made every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. We also have in common that our first parents sinned and brought sin into the world. And then we have in common that at the Tower of Babel, we got more problems because of pride. And now we have these language barriers. But then in that, in all of that, back in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 12, God makes his promises to us to bless us. And in Genesis 12, he's going to bless us through the seed of Abraham, that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that blessing is repeated multiple times in the book of Genesis. And then we see that, you know, it plays out in the Old Testament until, you know, then we, then we have the silent years and then Christ comes and breaks the silence. And we already know, the, we know the end, that, that God's promise is true because the book of Revelation tells us that around the throne of God there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That all the families of, of the earth are blessed in Christ. And that gives us real reason to beg people to repent. That gives us real reason to be beggars 
in people's lives and to beg them to repent and to believe in Jesus. To, to, to surrender their lives uh, to him. And you, go, you know, when you're in different cultures, because there's a lot of times this, there's this barrier of, well, this is what we do, and this is what our parents did, and this is what their parents did, and for this many generations. Well, there's some facts there. If you go back far enough, that's not what they always did. Because every culture changes. And every culture's beliefs change over time. It's not what they always did. So you won't be the first person in your line to have changed something. And if you go back far enough, you're going to find people who worship the true and living God according to the way of the true and living God. Now, some people have to go back further than others. But you'll eventually get there. Why? We've got Noah in common. And we've got Adam and Eve in common. You at least got somebody. And so you have an opportunity. What we encourage people is you have an opportunity to get your family back on the right path. And that the future generations could be blessed by that decision. But there are real consequences. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. You know, and there's so much there's so much um, sin that people think they get away with. So much sin people think they get away with. But God is just. Either Jesus pays for it because the person's asked Jesus to pay for it, or the person pays for it. Period. God is just. And that's something that we have to remember. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this one this morning, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and share it because it's, you know, there, there's, there's life, there's physical life, and there's eternal life. There's physical death and there's eternal death. And those are all real. You know, we don't like to talk about death. We like to, unless we are absolutely confronted by it in an unavoidable way, we generally try not to talk about it. Because it's not a, I mean, it's not a joyful thing to talk about. I mean, it'd be actually kind of weird if you were like, hey, you want to go have lunch and talk about death? I mean, that's, that's no, I, I actually wouldn't want to necessarily do that. Um, but we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. Because it's real. And when people die without Christ, their opportunities to repent are done. And, and I, I don't... There is no pleasure, there should be no pleasure in anybody ever saying that. Ever. Because God does not take pleasure at the death of the wicked. And so... One of the things that happened when we were down there that, um, and I'm hesitant, I mean, I, you know, I would tell you all this, especially if you were talking about going or your kids don't going, because you need to have full information. You know, like it wouldn't be right to hide things at the same time. We don't like to highlight evil and negative things. 
So we stayed at um, one of my day's house. It's just funny um, because people have physical parents, people have spiritual parents. So Juan and I, they, before they got married, they both grew up for many, year, many of their teenage years and beyond in um, Pepe and Judy's house. And a lot of people did. Um, so Pepe and Judy had this house where, you know, little living room, little dining room with as many chairs as you could put around a long table and a tiny kitchen and their bedroom, a little room for recording for the radio programs, then a little office, another little room, two other little rooms. They had two sons and then a garage. And over the course of 40 years, it is really hard to figure out how many people live there for at least a year. I mean, very conservative, very conservative would be like 50. Very conservative. I mean, probably more than 100. So now Pepe, now, sorry, um, Juan and Ide, so they have a house, and it's a bigger house than what Pepe and Judy have, but now they've got the single guys on the mission team live above the kitchen, living room area. They've got other bedrooms on the other side where visitors are always coming in and going where they stay. And then Nacho and Jenny have a house there where they live is in the next house. And there's a upstairs where all the single ladies are bunked um, up there. So that legacy is like, you know, continuing on if you, you know, to give people opportunity to participate. And so, you know, there's just a lot of people there all the, all the time, um, which is, is, is great if you're an extrovert. <laughs> so if, you, if you're an introvert, it can be a little tough some days. Claire's like, yeah, a little tough some days. So, uh, but anyway, it was a Monday, and, and you know, some of the Mondays, or a lot of Mondays, they, they have off. And so all the kids, or our kids, two other families, the kids are all playing in the yard. And in the driveway, we're, if you guys were checking the you know, oil in vehicles. And then there's the cornfield, and then there's another road, um, dirt road. And so we hear this motorcycle pull up, you know, drive by, and it stop, and you hear a little chatter, and then you hear bang, 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 bang. And so there was a, a 22-year-old who was visiting his mom and sisters, and he had gone down a bad path, apparently met some people that were a little further down that path than he was, and that was it. Um, thankfully, you know, because of the time of year and the height of the corn, you know, nobody could see what actually happened, you know, in terms of the, the awful details of that but everybody knew the after effect of it. Um, and then, so that was Monday, and then Thursday, you know, in the prison ministry in Zongalika, and it just, it, it hurts when you're there and there's 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, in, in prison. Um, So, 
you know, some of those 18, 19, 20-year-olds came to meet Jesus in prison, you know, praise God, better meet him in prison than to be killed on the street, right? But they also did things that then affected other families and other people. Better to reach them when they're 10. Yeah. Well, better to reach them when they're 5, 6, 7, eight, you know, as early as possible. We'll never apologize. People are like, oh, you know, some, you know, churches is going to these mission trips to help with VBSs and kids camps. And this was on Facebook, the other, you know, Facebook the other day on one of my acquaintances. And uh, just, it's just about, you know, all these people commenting, you know, it's just about converts. Doggone straight, it's about converts. <laughs> I mean... I will make zero apology for that. I'll, I will make zero apology for preaching the gospel to kids and encouraging them to believe in Jesus. Because Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Make zero apology for preaching the gospel to anybody who will listen by pretty much any means available slash necessary. Make zero apologies for that. And, and we as a church like, have got to stop making apologies when what we're being asked not to do is fundamental to our mission. But we've got, we got to stop making apologies in our community for believing in Jesus and for following him and believing what the scripture says is true and by saying we're going to live life his, his way. Because there is not... You know, people are not neutral. There is not a neutral environment. People are actively trying to get our kids not to believe in God. People are actively trying to talk our kids into doing things that are contrary to the Word of God and to His ways. People have an agenda that our kids will do anything but follow Jesus in His ways. Well, folks, we can't have a situation where then we're making apologies we're saying no Jesus is the way the truth and the life we just can't do that we got to be a we got to have a little more fortitude a little more boldness and honestly just a little bit more love because the scripture says the love of Christ compels us You see all the time people saying truthful things and then backing down because the mob comes after them and they're like, well, I, w- I was ignorant or I was taken out of context or this or that or other excuse. And my goodness, we just have to stop and say, no, out of love. It's not out of hate. It's out of the love of Jesus that we have to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to follow but by him. And that Jesus' ways are the best ways to live. Now, we should never be yelling and screaming at people. We, we should never be ugly. We should never use bad words and harsh language in our approach. We need to be kind, gentle, patient, 
truthful. See, I don't mind, you know, people don't care if you're kind, gentle, and patient, and you agree with their lies. I was kind, gentle, and patient, but I didn't say nothing. People don't mind that. Be kind, gentle, and patient, but tell the truth in love. Because you know, and, and, and the thing about it is, you know, I'm hesitant to tell that story, and, and you know, th- there's an increase in violence in Mexico. There's just no getting around it. You know, and, and you gotta prayerfully your decision, you know, you gotta pray and talk to God if that's what God wants you to do or your family to do or not do. And there's not judgment for that. God can tell one family to do one thing and another family to do another thing. Just like David wasn't the one that was supposed to be build a temple, even though building a temple is a good thing. So that's somebody else's job. So you gotta talk to the Lord about that. But at the same time, you know, just in Oconee County, right down the street, you know, teenager murdered on the side of a road by three other teenagers. I mean, you're trying to just escape everything when it comes to... I understand there's levels, right? But you can't escape everything. You just can't. As much as we'd like to, I mean, I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like just to build a nice little bubble. We can just put some bars on these basement windows, and actually, some of them already have bars on them. Because I, I think the older lady that lived here a long time ago, she she put bars on everything. But um, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. But you know what I'm saying? Like we just we just camp out in here and, and get one Uber driver we trust to deliver us food for the rest of our lives. No, that's. But that but but that's no way to live. Okay, that's no way to live, folks. So. We're going we're gonna to move on. But if the temple of God isn't in something made by human hands, where is it? Well, it's heaven and earth, as the Lord says. But it's also this, 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, flee sexual immorality for every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or you don't know that the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Man, that's incredible, folks. That is just absolutely incredible. That of all the places that God could dwell and to make his manifest presence known, he wants to make his home in us. Jesus said, you know, go in John 14, 15. Jesus says those things. He that his he and his father make their home in us. That's through the Holy Spirit. But of all the places that God could make his manifest presence known, he he wants to make his manifest presence known in little old you and me. I mean, that's that's stinking incredible, folks. That is incredible. He wants to make his manifest presence known in you and me. And you know what? If the Holy Spirit lives in you, you know what? Then you also have carrying around with you 
You are carrying around God in your body. But then we're going to be intimidated in a sinful world. When you actually, we actually have God and his power and his wisdom and his love available to us within us. That shouldn't make us cocky. We've got to still be humble, but it should make us confident. We should be confident in our Lord. I have to get back to 2 Samuel 7 just real quick and we'll finish this up. But in verse 8, Now therefore, thus says, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheephold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who were on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house." When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of Ben. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So, we need to be clear here that the Lord with David wasn't tossing him away when he said, I don't want you to do that job. She said that was somebody else's job. And, and we got to learn that in our lives. That when the Lord says, no, that's not for you. That's for somebody else. The Lord's not throwing you away. He just has something different for you to do. He has a role for you and a role for them. And we oftentimes fall into that trap where we just want to compare ourselves to others in so many different ways and what the Lord's given this one or that one. Well, that's a recipe for being discontent in your life. Just be content with obeying Jesus. Now, don't be content with disobeying Jesus. That's not, that's not a good, good life. That's not a good way to live, to be you know, not obeying Jesus and being content with that or discontent with that is, is going to be miserable either way. But just follow Jesus and be content with whatever he has. Preaches myself this morning on that. But he makes these promises. Some of those promises are fulfilled short-term in Solomon. Others are fulfilled longer-term and will be fulfilled longer-term in Christ. Um, and you can look through that more to um, examine the differences on that. you um, find that to be an interesting um, study. But, but notice that the Lord starts with, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. You understand, if you, if you are in Christ, you have a story like that. 
the Lord took you from whatever it was, whatever your past was, whatever you were doing, and he made you a king and a priest. Man, our God is generous. Our God is very generous. And we need to have this attitude, this response, because, you know, David didn't say, you know what? I'm still going to build that house. Because that's what I wanted to do. And I got the money to do it. I'm still going to build that house. And, and God will see my, things my way eventually. That's not what he did. Listen to what he says, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. He went and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Man, You know, so many times with our kids, when they have, when they're not happy, it's because they do not have an attitude of gratitude for all the good that they have. They're complaining, they're complaining about they didn't get one more whatever. When you're like, look, you get three meals a day plus snacks. You have a bed to sleep in. You have a roof over your head. You have people in your life who love you and take care of you, who sacrifice for you, who give you so many good things, and you're going to complain because you didn't get one more fruit snack. <laughs> like, you, you don't get it, people. Yeah, that's true, but people... We're going to look at our kids, and we're going to, I mean, I tell my kids, our kids have already heard so many times, there are kids with nothing today. (laughs) You will, you will just stop complaining. But, let's look in the mirror. How many times in your life are you complaining about something? And not having gratitude about all that God has given you. And if you have Jesus this morning, why are you complaining? Why am I complaining? You have Jesus. And they're complaining about this, that, or the other thing. I mean, and God knows our desires, and he knows our hurts and pains, and I'm not trying to minimize that this morning, folks. But I'm just saying we need to start with an attitude of gratitude. If you have thankfulness in your heart for the good that God has given, it certainly puts everything else in perspective and helps us to get through the things that in life are truly difficult. Because everybody in this room has experienced some type of pain that's real and that really hurts. And again, I'm not minimizing that this morning. But I'm just saying we need to start. Our baseline is thanksgiving. If your baseline is thanksgiving, when the pains and difficult things of life come, you're going to handle that a lot better than if your baseline is complaining. If your baseline is negativity, if you're always looking for a reason to complain about something, and you're complaining about nothing all the time, well, what are you going to do when you actually have something that's worth some angst? Well, well now, that's, that's going to be real bad. 
that's going to be real bad. Attitude of thanksgiving. Who am I, Lord? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this is a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you also have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations, and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord, now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever as you, and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. There's some powerful words. There's a obviously a context that is to David and to his house and into his kingdom but there are things from that that we can apply and that we can borrow for ourselves first is that the Lord is great notice how many times in reverence David says things like oh Lord God the Lord of hosts you have revealed you have spoken his humbleness, what can, who am I? What can I say to you? You are great, for there is none like you. That he would be magnified, that the name of God would be lifted on high. Folks, we've got, we've got to pray that, those type of prayers. We should, out of thankful hearts. Lord, you are God. And so this morning, my encouragement, before you take that bread and that cup, it's just to pray a thankful prayer. And, and there's parts of this. He says, I will build you a house. Well, Jesus said to us, in my Father's house are, you know, behold, I go and prepare a place for you. But in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Yeah, the, the Lord's building us a house. It's going to last forever. We have blessings in Christ that are unspeakable because he has redeemed us. So please, a prayer of confession, a prayer of thanksgiving is appropriate before you take that bread and that cup. And, and I would encourage in our open time just short prayers of confession, short prayers of thankfulness, short, short prayers of, of, just, of gratitude, of, of lifting the name of God on high.
because he is worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that you are great and that we are small. And that, Lord God, you are Lord of heaven and earth and you are all-present and all-knowing and all-powerful and yet you make your home, your dwelling, your manifest presence in the the hearts of your people. God, that's too good for us. It's too amazing for us. We don't deserve it. Just to be spared from your righteous judgment would be enough. And yet you want to sit us at your table. So this morning I pray, Lord, that you would be people who are thankful and who are full of your love and out of that thankfulness. And out of being filled from your love that we would be compelled to tell our city that there's a real God who has made a way for us. Help us to have courage. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen.